So we are in a, a series in the book of Mark, and I hope many of you have been reading along. I hope you've been enjoying it, like not just reading the Bible, but like enjoying it uh, and getting to know Jesus better through that. And, and I know many of you are in a connection group and you're talking about it. Uh, that, that's, just, that's just wonderful. It's absolutely transformative when we get into God's word as a community. Now, uh, this week, uh, if you're, if you're follow, still following along, and I hope you are, we're starting into Mark 11 and Mark 12. But uh, today we want us to look at a passage from Mark chapter 9. So a passage that, you, that uh, if you're following along in the little bookmarks and all the little plans that uh, you read this past week. And this is one of those passages that helps us to understand what Jesus meant when he's talking about the kingdom of God. The time has come and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So I'd like to invite uh, Grace uh, Peterson to come up and actually read that passage for us. We'll put it up on the screen, but I invite us to stand just out of reverence for God's word as we, uh, as we hear it read together. So Mark chapter 9. They left a place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was with teaching the disciples. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. But they, didn't, they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum, when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the road they argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 disciples. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servants of all. He took a little child's womb he placed among them, taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Thanks, Grace. Please have a seat. You can have some really great conversations while you're walking, right? This wasn't one of them. So this is right after Jesus with Peter, James, and John have come down from the mountain of transfiguration. And if you remember that story where, where Jesus was, was transformed, uh, Peter was dumbstruck, and, and Elijah and Moses literally showed up. And then Jesus told Peter, James, and John to not say anything about it. And they came back down the hill, and, and they met up with the other disciples who, well, they'd been out doing ministry. They'd been doing just the very thing that Jesus had told them to do of, of going anointing people with oil and preaching repentance and driving out demons. And there was a demon they couldn't drive out. And so there was, there was a, a man whose little boy was, was, was really sick. And so they, everyone was kind of waiting for Jesus to show up and actually finish the job. And then they leave. And they start making the way, journeying along 
um, to Capernaum and they're passing through Galilee. And the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what happened in those conversations, but sometimes it's fun to use your imagination. So I was thinking this week about what would maybe happening on the road there, especially the conversation between Simon Peter, who is up on the mountain, and his younger brother, Andrew, who is, or I, well, actually I don't know if they're younger brothers or not, but his brother Andrew, who was also one of the first disciples to be called, but he wasn't invited. So maybe Andrew would be walking along with, uh, with, with, with Peter, and you say, well, so, so, so Simon, Simon Peter, Simon, so what did, what did you and Jesus do on your little nature walk? <laughs> and, Peter, and Peter says, oh, it was incredible. It was just mind-blowing. I've never seen anything like it, but I, but I, I can't tell you. Really? You can, what? Jesus told me not to. <laughs> really? Well, you know, while you were up there, we were, we were doing all, all the stuff that Jesus told us to do. We were, we, were, we were preaching. I was preaching that message of repentance, the kingdom of God is at hand, and people were listening. They were listening. People were changing the direction of their lives. And, and you know, Thomas, he, you know, he, he's actually become quite a healer. He, he, was, he anointed this lady with, she, she had a sprained ankle with oil and her, her ankle got better. It was, it was super cool, yeah. And, and, and Thaddeus, he, he, he prayed for somebody's lower back pain and it went away. Uh-huh. And Philip, well, there was this guy with like a clinical case of gingivitis, really, really bad. And like he got healed. It was, it was amazing. So, you know, maybe... You know, Jesus took you on a nature walk, so, you know, for extra supervision while the rest of us did the actual ministry because he could trust us. Peter, of course, not going to take any of that from his brother. So, if you had only known what we saw, if I could only tell you, see, I, I think, see, Jesus is actually preparing me and James and John. Oh, the Thunder Brothers. Uh, the Thunder Brothers, really. Yeah, Peter, James, and John. I think, I, think, I think Jesus is preparing us for maybe some sort of special mission. You know, that's why he took us on this special trip. Oh, 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 so you think you're better than me? You think you're better than us? And Peter's like, I don't think I'm better than you. I know that I'm better than you. And this goes back and forth a little bit until they finally get into the house and they're jostling back and forth. And, and then Jesus, being Jesus, turns to them and says, so, what were you arguing about back there on the road? And then we get to this, to this verse. It's Mark chapter 9. Verse 35, and we'll put it up on the screen. I want to say it together. This is one of those, those things that, it's a teaching of Jesus that maybe we take for granted, but we, because we don't realize just how absolutely countercultural, how absolutely revolutionary this is. Mark 9, 35, say it with me. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Let's say that again. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last 
and the servant of all. Jesus introduces this really radical, really radical idea. This idea that, that in God's kingdom, you know, the, the kingdom he's been talking about, repent and believe, the kingdom of God is at hand. In God's kingdom, this, this God's power breaking into the world, as God's power breaks into the world, this is what happens. Kingdom greatness is expressed through service. You want to be truly great? Be someone who greatly serves. And we, we might not realize just how incredibly impactful, insightful that, uh, that teaching is. Because see, human nature has been, has been the same throughout history. And, and there are people that have leadership gifts. And, you know, in the Roman Empire, it wasn't all that different from, you know, from, from our own time. Um, people who were good, good with strategy, had good mental capacity. People who were able to foster accountability in groups of people. People who had resilience. Those were all factors of leadership. And they still are. It's not that those factors are wrong. It's, it's okay if you learn those things. It's okay if you are those things. But Jesus is the first person in history to introduce the idea that as you exercise those things, it's not just for you. It's for the people that you. It's, it's for the people that you're that you're leading. The people you're leading are the people you should be serving. He's saying this in the midst of the Roman Empire. Did you know Augustus Caesar, in his time, he was quite literally the, the, the richest person on the planet. Um, possibly the richest person of all history. I was reading this week where he, Augustus Caesar had an estimated personal net worth of $4.6 trillion. Take that, Elon Musk. Take that, Jeff Bezos. And as much as we might have concerns about the super, super, super wealth here on earth, um, it's not a new thing. 4.6, like in, in modern U.S. dollars, $4.6 trillion of personal net worth. And so we look at those kind of things, that kind of money, that kind of power, that kind of privilege, we look at that as being... Leadership, and yet Jesus teaches, and most importantly, models a version of leadership that is radically different. As Paul is teaching the church in Corinth, or sorry, the church in Philippi, in this passage, he, he says, you know, each one of you, don't just don't look to your own interests, but look to the interests of others. It's human nature to look at. Look to your own interests. What's in it for me? What's in it for mine? My, how, how, am I gonna, how is this going to help my people? How is this going to help my organization? That's, that's normal. It's natural. It's not necessarily wrong. But if you want to be truly great, if you want to be truly great, don't look first to your own interests, but look to the interests of others. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Think about it. Think about it. The most powerful person ever, ever in human history. I mean, there is no other person on earth who... No other person in history that could do what Jesus did. He fed thousands of people. You, you read these stories. More than 5,000 in one setting, more than 4,000 in another setting. He walked on water. He calmed the storm. He healed people of all sorts of diseases. He raised people from the dead. Who does that? Only Jesus, if you were to monetize that, what could you turn that into? You could turn that into literally anything you ever wanted. Think about that. The greatest person ever, the most powerful person ever, the most well-resourced person ever gave the greatest sacrifice ever. That's what he did with it. What did he do? He gave his own life up. He died on the cross for human sin. He took the entirety of human sin, the consequences, its weight on himself. He gave a gift that none of us could earn and he gave it freely. That's what Jesus did with his greatness. That's what he did with his greatness. So it introduces this idea, and those of you that have been in, in any like business classes in the last 20 years, maybe 30 years even, you've probably heard this term, servant leadership. Servant leadership. Who here has been in, been in some sort of a secular business class where you heard the term senior leadership or servant leadership? Servant leadership. Yep. Lots of hands going up. Do you know why? Because it works. Because it's a truly better way to lead. Do you know who introduced servant leadership? What's his name? Jesus. A little louder. Jesus. Right. And even in a secular setting where you don't say the J word, it's still true. If you ever worked in a really great environment... There were probably people around you who saw you as not just a cog in the wheel, but as a real three-dimensional human being. They cared about you. And it's good, it's, it's good organizational structure. It's good business. It is difficult. But amazing things can happen when people do exactly what the Scriptures teach and rather than just look to their own interest, 
they put the interest of others before themselves. How have you experienced servant leadership in your life? Have you ever been in an environment where you, uh, you really felt valued? And where the culture of the place was to serve and care for one another, not just the bottom line. Or not just to elevate the, the leader. Servant leadership, kingdom greatness is expressed through service. And as a church that has as our missional motto, well, you've, you've probably heard it before, three words, love like, love like Jesus, love like Jesus. You know, part of what it means to love like Jesus is that when we, are, we find ourselves in places of responsibility, like being a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or you're a, you're a leader in, in children's church or maybe you're a leader in your business or you're a teacher in a school or you, or you run a small business or you're a manager of any sort, that as you love like Jesus and you have opportunity to lead, that we lead like Jesus. We lead like Jesus, which means if we're leading like Jesus, we also need to Serve like Jesus. Because Jesus, the greatest person ever, the most powerful, most well-resourced person ever in history, the person who really could do anything he wanted, what he wanted to do, what he wanted to do, was meet the deepest and greatest need of humanity. So as we look and what it means to serve like Jesus, to be, to be a servant leader. Um, well, we, we, first, let's, let's get rid of some of, the, some, of the, some of the misunderstandings about it. On one side, you've got organizations that, you know, they use servant leadership, and it's more kind of, to be honest, kind of lip service. It shows up on a missional statement somewhere. It's a plaque on the wall, but you don't really see it. That's not what we're talking about. I mean, servant leadership isn't just what you say. It's more importantly what you do. It's not even just going through a tick, you know, checkbox of here's the things. And did I say good morning? Did I, you know, did I, did I ask them, you know, did I, did I whatever it is. It, it's, the, it's a hard attitude. It requires a heart transformation. Because, you know, selfishness, that, that desire to put yourself first is, I mean, that's just core to human nature. But when the Spirit starts to get a hold of somebody's heart, the Holy Spirit can start to make that change. So if you're like me and you find, find yourself sometimes even struggling to, to exemplify servant leadership in the ways that you would like, that's a place to invite the Lord in. Lord, make the changes in my heart. Help me to care deeply for the needs of the people around me. I want to love like you. So in the places where I have an opportunity to lead, Lord, help me to lead like you. Lord, help me to serve like you. It also avoids the other extreme of, of servant leadership because servant leadership does not mean that, you, that you're just um, at the mercy of everybody's whims. It doesn't mean that you're a... I, I hope this phrase isn't, isn't offensive, but like a human doormat, you know, where people just get to walk all over you. And sometimes you might have seen people try to apply this idea of, of being a servant in their Christian walk a little bit like that, where, 
where as if it's maybe more faithful to just be absolutely drained the entire time, as if it's somehow more faithful if you are just joyless and spent. But that's not how Jesus lived. If we want to lead like Jesus and serve like Jesus, we need to look to Jesus as the example of how to live. Isn't it interesting as you've, and I hope you are in the book of Mark, I hope you're just getting to, to, to get to know Jesus better. It's interesting, Jesus, I mean, Jesus took breaks. Jesus felt, Jesus took naps. Sometimes at really inopportune times. Like the disciples get ticked off at him because of the places, have you noticed this? The places where he's taking naps, like in the back of a boat in a storm. Like, Jesus, what are you doing? It's okay to rest. There were times when Jesus withdrew from the crowds, where he withdrew from the disciples because he knew if he was going to have anything to give, he needed to be filled first. And so he he knew that his heart would be filled by spending time with the Father. So Jesus prioritized prayer. So being a servant leader doesn't mean that you're serving the whims of the people around you. It just means that you prioritize the needs of the people around you. So as we look at this passage, you know, the, the, the last will be first. And one of the questions, and what it means to be a servant leader, here's, here's a question I'd love for you to spend just a few moments with. Lord, how can I use what I have? Lord, how can I use what I have to build others up? Because the thing is, we all have something. So maybe those are talents or gifts or time or I mean, you have got resources. Globally, do you realize we're rich? Isn't that strange? Um, Here's a little illustration. Um, Who here in the last week has eaten a banana? Yeah. Who here, if, if you were in a setting, hypothetically like a youth group setting, and they were playing a game with food and some bananas just got randomly smashed? Who here would find that scandalous? Probably not. It's just a banana, right? Bananas, they're, they're plentiful. They're cheap. You've got bananas. Maybe you've, you, you know, you, you've, you've probably had bananas that you, that you kept on the shelf too long and they get real funky and super... I actually like them a little brown. But like they, they're, they're, like, they're, like, they're like mushy and you just throw them away. It's not a big deal. You can get more bananas. It, except for this. Do you realize bananas don't grow here? They're a tropical fruit. Unless you're here visiting from somewhere distant that, please take me with you. But it's a distant place, <laughs> distant tropical place, you don't have a banana plant in your backyard. The reason why we have bananas, even with all of the supply chain issues that we really do have right now, and even with all the concerns about the economy, which we rightly should have, we have those things because we're rich. We're rich. We can eat food that is grown on the other side of the planet, and we can access it so casually that we hardly give it any thought. All of us, 
my only point in that isn't to make you feel bad about bananas. I hope you like bananas. It's, it's just to realize you have more than you might feel like you have. In terms of resources, in terms of abilities, in terms of gifts, in terms of talents. And so the, the, the question of servant leadership is, Lord, how can I use, how can we put that question back up on the screen, how can I use the, the things that, the things that, that God, you have given me to build others up. How can I use what I have to build other people up? Lord, show me. Show me what it means to be a servant leader in whatever context you've placed me, in my family, in my workplace. Lord, how can I use what I have to build others up? I want to tell you a little story. There's a, this is from the book um, uh, Stadium Status by Coach John Brubaker. And he writes and he tells a story about um, how he was a coach of a college lacrosse team that actually wasn't doing very well. And so he was out and he was recruiting uh, young talent and he went to a high school and he met a young man there named Stephen who was a really great lacrosse player. Meets up with him in the fall, tells him all about the college. He's authorized to give and offer him a really good scholarship and he gets a verbal agreement from Stephen to come and play on this college lacrosse team. But Stephen won't sign. And he finds that really frustrating. Because, so he keeps watching this player as all these other coaches from all these other colleges, they come and they interview him and they go and, and he, he doesn't sign with anyone. What's this kid thinking? Doesn't he know we're offering him a scholarship? And he, fall moves into winter, winter moves into spring, and finally in the springtime, Stephen follows through with his verbal commitment to sign the contract for Coach Brew's school. So he sits him down and says, right after he's got the signature, after he's got the signature and secured him from the team, for the team, he says, what, what were you doing? Why did you wait so long? Why did you wait so long to sign? And he says this, Stephen, this 17-year-old lacrosse player says this, Coach, I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of my colleagues, a lot of colleges come to see me play each week. And most of my teammates weren't getting any scholarship offers or even being recruited earlier this year, but now they are. So by me not committing anywhere, all those college coaches who kept coming to see me play got a chance to discover how good some of my teammates really are. And if I'd signed early, all those coaches, they would have stopped coming to the games. And none of my teammates would have been recruited. Isn't that a cool story? 17-year-old kid. Lord, how can I use what you've given, what you've given me, to build other people up? Is that, a, is that resources? Is that a talent? Is that time? Is that a skill set? Lord, how can I use what I have to build others up? So Lord, help me to serve others. Just like you first served me.
God doesn't ask us to serve out of our emptiness, but out of the infilling. Jesus came to serve you and my and our deepest and greatest need. You and I, we are separated from God by our sin, by our sinful proclivities, by the attitudes and actions in our life and in our heart that distance us from God. And each one of us on our own, if we got what, what cosmic justice demands, each one of us deserves to go to hell. Each one of us deserves to be permanently separated from our perfect Heavenly Father. But rather than see that happen, Jesus himself intervened. And he took on your and my and our sin, crucified it on the cross. It died with him so that now our sins are forgiven. Now when God looks at us, the, the, the slate has been wiped clean. And that's a gift that any person is able to receive. All we need to do is be open to receiving that. Jesus served us first. As he's asking us to serve the world around us, he asks us to serve knowing that, for us to know that he has served our deepest need first. He is there for you. He is there for you. He wants to fill you so he can use you. So thank you, God, for serving me. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Jesus, thank you that you met my deepest need. Lord Jesus, thank you that you met our deepest need. Lord Jesus, thank you that you yourself set the example of service. So Lord, help each one of us and every one of us to follow your example of servant leadership. Lord, bring to mind the resources that you've entrusted to us, whatever, they may, whatever those might be. Bring to mind, Lord, the opportunities that you've given us to serve and make a difference. To build up the people around us. Lord, guard us from that, the temptation, the cultural temptation towards just self-centeredness and self-serving behavior. But Lord, let your light shine in us and through us as we love like Jesus, as we lead like Jesus, as we serve like Jesus. And friend, maybe there's a particular person in your life that, that comes to mind as you're, as you're praying. Just take a moment to lift them up. Maybe there's a particular opportunity in your workplace, in your home, in your family, in your school. Just ask God to meet you there, to use you there. Just give it to him. Give it to him. Lord Jesus, use us, we pray. Use us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.